This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined today by special guest Jeff Tarpley, a columnist with Gigum 24-7, our Texas A&M site here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Appreciate him uh, giving us his time. Want to have about a 25-minute conversation here about the Aggies and uh, what's going on over there in College Station after the interesting result this past weekend. Um, but Jeff, how you doing, man? Appreciate you jumping on. Um, how, how are how are things over there in Texas leading up to this this big game? Well, I think there's certainly a the intensity has been ramped up for this contest, at least on A and M side. The urgency. Because AM expected, fully expected to be 2 0 going into this game and, and setting up a, you know, a nationally broadcast game on a Saturday night at Kyle Field. I mean, this was supposed to be maybe not a coming out party for the Aggies, but certainly an introduction of the 2022 Aggies to the rest of the country, uh, a top 10 team to sit there and go, hey, look, we are what we say we are. Just because we had this great recruiting class, we've got more than that. We're going to show it off. And instead, what happened last Saturday has kind of derailed that to an extent. And now AM's kind of having uh, to regroup. Uh, there's a lot riding on this game just from the standpoint that it's going to be a big recruiting weekend. So uh, you and I talked about this earlier today. Jimbo Fisher has had multiple contests in his tenure in Aggieland where something went wrong, and then there comes a game where he's got to right the ship. And so far, LSU 2018, that fall, and that was a few games after a, a loss to Auburn, but uh, Auburn 2018 was a game. A&M was up by double digits with seven minutes to go and wound up losing. That was quite a setback at the time. Uh, 2020, there was the loss in Tuscaloosa. Uh, looking back on it, it wasn't quite as catastrophic as it seemed to be at the time. Uh, Alabama would go on, right. beat lots of teams by 30 points, you know, 20, 30 points. 
But at the time, it really felt like a gut punch for the A's. They come back the very next week. They come from behind. They find a way to uh, kick a late field goal, beat a then top five rated Florida team. Last year, they have back-to-back losses to Arkansas and Mississippi State. They're playing a backup quarterback. Uh, they're a three-touchdown underdog to Nick Saban, who's never lost a game to a former assistant. And AM rises up again and plays its game of the season, best game of the year, and manages to pull off a huge upset at night before a packed house that included a lot of, you know, quite a few kids that they would right. sign in that heralded 2022 recruiting class. At least for a while, it got the season back on track. But more than anything else, it enabled the program to sit there and tell everybody, we're not going anywhere. Come be a part of it. Come, come be a part of us. And as a result, they were able to recruit that top-rated class, not just for 2022, but of all time. Right. Uh, now, you know, the Appalachian State loss is home loss, totally unexpected. Again, the same thing, kind of having to regroup, quarterback issues. So the one thing I can say is based on past experience is that when Jimbo Fisher has been in a similar situation, he has he, he starts doing things he hasn't been doing in the past. Uh, his teams come out and they play hard for him. And AM finds a way to win these types of football games. Right. I so know for, you know, from AM standpoint, again, it just you're you're back in the same boat one right. more time. And, and when you know, for guys like you and me who are in the weeds of these programs, right? So Every loss feels like a big deal. I get that. And you laid it out perfectly with, with uh, some recent examples of, of how A&M's been able to dig their way out of some early season holes uh, you know, with results that uh, maybe didn't go their way that, that they expected to. I'm curious, does this feel different in any way, in your opinion, just with it being what? Is it year five now, the Jimbo era? Obviously, App State is a group of five loss. Are the is the fan base are, are things more urgent? I guess I would say this week, or or does it seem like it's not different? I guess compared to those other years that you highlighted. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't really feel that different to me. Uh, one of the things I tell people on our message boards is that redemption is always just seven days away in college football. That's why bowl games. There's way too much. Uh, we put way too much importance on how a team looks at the end of the season because right. it's our last view of them. And we do the same thing kind of in the spring game because we just don't have anything else to compare it to. It's not like, you know, NBA games where you have back to backs and they're just right. two out of 82. This is, you know, literally one tenth of your season. So for me, it doesn't feel that much different. AM has not played well, found itself in, in a similar situation before. They've managed to do the types of things either that they need to do or they should have been doing before and pull themselves out of it. Right. And win that game that they're, you know, that on the surface, maybe uh, you know, some people think they shouldn't. On the other hand, for the fan base, with this being Fisher's fifth year. 
It's the second straight year that A&M has been ranked, uh, you know, fifth, sixth in the country, has lost an early season game. I think that everybody's sitting there, you know, some people use the word regress. I don't think that's the right word. I think it feels like a better word might be that the program has kind of plateaued and that they're kind of, you know, that feels like they're at a crossroads when maybe the reality is, is that they're not. Okay. Let's, let's get into the offense. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of talk out there right now, a lot of narratives concerning, you know, Jimbo's offense being antiquated, which I think, you know, I think there's some fairness to that thought. Um, But I think it's also clear maybe that it's possible Jimbo picked the wrong quarterback in Haynes King, who has, you know, had his moments of struggling these first two games. I understand maybe the issue is somewhere in the middle with it being both right now, in addition to other things going on, you know, offensive line wise, uh, getting young guys settled into the college level. But I just want your opinion. If I had to pin you down, Jeff, and say, which do you think is the bigger issue right now for the offense going into this game? Is it Jimbo's offensive system or is it that he potentially picked the wrong quarterback to run his system. I think more than anything else, he wants a certain type of quarterback. I think he wants a quarterback that can run the entire playbook. Uh, and And in order to do that, he needs someone who is dedicated enough to want to absorb as much of the playbook as possible. And it's not necessarily a, a playbook that's, you know, biblical in nature but he just wants someone to be able to run all of it be able to get AM into the best possible plays and also be a, enable fisher to call plays that have the quarterback use their use his legs uh, zone read speed option that type of thing so that when fisher does call a play he can look at a defense and he can sit there and go hey they're in this defense I'm not restricted by my quarterback in, in terms of what I can run. And Haynes King is the best what AM has right now in that regard, similar to what Kellen Mon was. Kellen Mon was a, you know, he's a he's a dedicated kid, uh, mobile quarterback who could run the zone read, run speed option. He knew, you know, especially by the time he was in his last year on AM's campus, he could. He knew what play he, he was in sync with with Fisher mentally. Uh, he knew enough the playbook in terms of what he uh, you know Fisher could run anything he wanted to with Mon. King fits fits that. Now the problem is is that as as we saw with Mon, Mon had one really good year throwing the football in 2020. I think 19 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Uh, he had the kind of the consummate year that I think Fisher needed to have out of him. Uh, He wound up going in the third round of the NFL draft. You know, now you're in a setup where you've got King who is relatively inexperienced. And in fact, to tell you the truth, if you look at where Mond was in his second year on AM's campus, Mond had already start, started about half a dozen games as a freshman. People forget that. Nick Starkle 
got injured out at UCLA. Mon had to come off the bench in that game. Mon started some games before he went back to the bench for he kind of got overwhelmed in the you know in, in the SEC uh, when Kevin Sumlin was there. So even by the spring of 2018, Kellen Mon was a little more experienced than what Haynes King is. Haynes King last weekend was only his fourth start. And really, he's only played, you know, three college, you know, three entire college football games. When you combine that with the fact that the offense as a whole remains young, it was a young group last year because of injuries, and now they're had more injuries this season, so it's still kind of a young group. You're looking at a guy who doesn't have a lot of starts, who may know how, who may be able to best take advantage of the playbook. But in terms of, as Jimbo Fisher says, being able to clean up the messes of everybody around him, he's not only having to deal with his own inexperience, he's having to deal with everybody else as well. And as a result, it's just a little too much. You throw in the fact that in terms of being a passer, is Haynes King the best passer of the three guys that A&M has on campus? Probably not. He certainly showed himself to be better in fall camp than what he had been the first two years on campus. He threw more accuracy, more velocity. But I don't think anybody's going to sit there. You know, if you looked at him, I think probably everybody would sit there and go, he's the third best passer. But that's how we got here. Do you want the third best passer running your offense or do you want the guy that gives you the capacity to call everything in your offense? And that's what Jimbo Fisher's run into by playing King. And we've seen that in the first couple of games with AM sputtering on offense. King had two picks in the first game. He was inaccurate in the second game. And so that's where we are at this point. Yeah, it's very interesting to see what Jimbo does at quarterback. Just totally your opinion, if you were to guess, you know, having covered Jimbo here um, at Texas AM. What's your best guess on how he does handle the quarterback situation this week? Do you think he lets Haynes start again and play play his way out of it or try to play his way out of it while uh, also being willing to, if things don't go well, obviously go to Max Johnson um, or Connor Wegman even, I guess the, the young freshman. In your opinion, what, what do you think Jimbo will do with that position going into this week? really I think my guess is as good as anybody else's uh I believe that what he will do is start Haynes King and see what happens because he made the point yesterday again that hey look the quarterback has to be able to clean up everything around him at times and not everyone and, and he's you know, in Fisher's mind, probably there's too much going on from everybody else that's putting more of a burden on King than what it needs to be. That if everybody else was executing better, then King wouldn't have so much of a burden in terms of having to make up for for misplays by the other players around him. In other words, the other players around him have to kind of elevate King, just like there's times that King's going to need to elevate him, them. So I think that. He would like to give King one last chance to see how everything goes. Get him, you know, let's 
work, you know, in, in Fisher's mind, at least let's get the running game going. Let's see if we can do that and give King some support so that he can hand the ball off, maybe move him around more, boot him more uh, so that he's on the move and, and maybe able to take advantage of that speed. In other words, take some of the burden off of him. But I think at some point he's going to have to look at it and go, hey, look, if he's not being productive, right. what happens? And I think that's I think that's going to be the mindset that he goes into this game with. But again, it's I don't think anything's set in stone at this point. I don't think any decisions are going to be made in that regard until later on in the week. Right. How much is the uh, you know the the play of the offensive line? How much is that driving the quarterback decision, you think? I mean, you've mentioned Haynes is the mobile guy. Um, you know, we've all seen, I think, Max Johnson play at LSU. And, and while he does have some mobility, I don't think he's on the same level as Haynes King in that regard. Um, do you think the offensive line, and you can push back on this, it seems like they've been a little inconsistent in pass protection here through the first two games, how much do you think that is maybe playing a role in the quarterback decision? Well, it's not just from the standpoint that uh, of what the pass protection has been like. A&M has really struggled to run the football. And so A&M, you know, instead of your quarterback just you know, kind of handing the ball off and, and, you know, not having to do a whole lot other than, you know, maybe call the play in a huddle or, or make a run check and get AM into the right play. Now, all of a sudden, if you're, you know, your quarterback sitting there looking at more long yarded situations, there's more of a burden, say, instead of, hey, all I have to do is hand the ball off. It's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to hit this third and 12. I've got to convert this third and seven, that type of thing. Oh, I've got to, you know, re, you know, instead of throwing the ball 15, 20 times, maybe I've got to throw it. 25, 30 times, that type of thing. And AM ran into that last year. I think in terms of the offensive line, it's it's not just the protection issue. It's the fact that they can't create situations where you set the quarterback up for success. You, you you're stuck in second and eight or second and nine too often. You don't have enough second and fives or second and threes where you can sit there maybe and take advantage of that with play action or, or some other kind of play to, to comp again, compensate for the fact that you know, your quarterback's inexperience. He doesn't have to carry all of the burden. And that goes back to an offensive line. That is not the same group that A&M thought it would be trotting out this fall. Back in the spring, uh, the number you know, your tackles were Trey Zoon on the left side and Reuben Father on the right side. Uh, uh, Jordan Mo Moko Spazovic was was one of the guards, and Layden Robinson was the other guard, and then and Bryce Foster was projected to be your center, even while he was with the AM track team and and throwing the shot and discus. Now all of a sudden, Foster's had mono, so. You're plugging in his backup, Matthew Wyckoff. And although Wyckoff was supposedly had a good fall camp, and I don't think he's been the issue up front for, for A&M. It's certainly 
you're not as settled there maybe as, as you would like to be. Robinson's been kind of dinged. And so A&M is now start. And instead of maybe putting Moco in on the left guard, they're going with uh, another player, Aki Bundley, who is injured last year. And when he got healthy, though, they kept him on the bench. So he's not – he doesn't have a history – a high-end history of success, especially when it comes to run blocking. He was a better pass blocker than run blocker last year as the team's left guard. And then Zune is a rookie. Uh, he struggled somewhat in the first two games because he's a redshirt freshman. He is not a massive body like Fathery, who's 6'8", 320, 320 pounds on the right side. So you're not getting a lot of push. And as a result, you're going from, let's say, 12 starts, 12 starts, 12 starts, and then maybe plugging in a couple of newcomers to 12 starts. You know, 12 starts, but you're kind of dinged up, zero starts. Okay couple starts, zero starts. And in addition, A&M's tight end coming into the season was supposed to be a guy named Max Wright, who has been in the program since 2018, uh, spring and fall camp. He basically, you know, he's not a plus athlete on, on one hand, but on the other hand, he would do everything the coaching staff needed him to in terms of running his routes, uh, blocking, doing what – you know, being where he was supposed to, he's uh, injured. Uh, he's been seen in a, a brace. He's probably out for a few weeks. They're playing a freshman at that position right now. So, again, instead of guys who have three, four, five, right. six years in the program, you got guys without a lot of time in the program, without a lot of reps or a lot of starts. And so, they just haven't been able to, you know, they, they hadn't worked together. Uh, you know, they've had right. to, you know, they, they had every, if I remember correctly, every guy except Wyckoff on that offensive line missed time in, in fall camp for various reasons. For example, Zoom had COVID. Uh, Moco was banged up. Uh, Aki's been, he's been moved around between tackle and guard. So they just, you know, they don't have the continuity. They don't have the experience. And it's showing in terms of their physicality, in terms, especially in the first game, of being able to get a hat on the right people. And they're just going to have to play together and they're just going to have to get more reps for it all to eventually click. That might happen Saturday night. Unfortunately, right. it might not happen Saturday night. We just don't know at this point. Texas AM does have explosive playmakers on offense. Um, you know, I just want you to highlight one guy. You got Anaya Smith, uh, Devon A-Chain, Evan Stewart. You can take this wherever you want to take it. Who do you kind of circle of these talented skill guys as a guy that needs to have a good performance against Miami in order for Texas A&M to win the game? I think A-Chain has to – he has to be a factor. I think one of the things that A&M – a&M's issues in the first two games, they just haven't been able to get him on track. The, the line hasn't enabled him to generate the kind of chunk plays that he has the speed to do, uh, unfortunately for AM. Uh, this is a guy who's a track guy 
Um, and when we say track guy, he's a legitimate uh, right. national world-class type of sprinter. He had the touchdown, you know, the kickoff return for the touchdown last week. And he only, he only had like eight, nine touches last weekend. And so when, when you're A&M and you're needing an easy button, he's an easy button for you because you can run, you know, he had a, tw- he, he had A&M's two biggest plays of the day. He had the kickoff return. He also had a 26 yard uh, run for a touchdown in the first half. So one of the most underrated aspect of Appalachian state's game plan last weekend was just milking the clock to cut down on the number of touches that a chain could get. He only had like eight or nine touches. He had, you know, about 20 the week before. And you saw what he could do if you get him some touches. He creates big plays, and the ball gets into the end zone. Unfortunately for a And M, they you know, they weren't able to do that. La- they hadn't been able to do that consistently the first two weeks. And yes, in the week one, a And M was able to throw the ball better. Uh, Nia Smith was able to. They were able to get some long receptions off of him. But I think that if they can find a way to get a chain untracked then I think the rest of the offense will follow suit. Uh, you know, and again, I'm talking about this outside of quarterback because AM right. definitely has to get more productivity out of the quarterback position. Right. They, and not just from the standpoint of chump plays, they have to also avoid, you know, can't just have the turn, you know, can't just have chump plays plus turnovers like they did week one against a better opponent. That would have been very, very problematic. They've got to have the chunk plays and avoid turning over the football. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Defensive side of the ball, um, I, I'll admit I'm a little confused about this group because, you know, statistically, you know, when you look at some stats from the App State game, right, they essentially did their job well enough to win the game. Uh, 17 points allowed. I think the yards per play was like something like 3.8 yards per play. Um, but at the same time, I think it's fair to say that App State dictated terms uh, by controlling the game with time of possession, like, like you were alluding to. So I'm just, I'm curious, Jeff, like what is your early big picture take on this defense? What do you like? What do you not like so far? What needs to get cleaned up moving forward? I still think they're a very good unit. Uh, I I think you're going to find them nationally ranked again at the end of the year. Uh, It's a 
you know, again, we talked about this this morning. This is a, it's a big group. Jimbo Fisher likes to stop the run. And so he's going to have big guys up front, and that's what AM has. AM has 325 pound defensive tackles and 280, 290 pound defensive ends. Uh, you're not going to move them off the line of scrimmage. Uh, and Appalachian State didn't really move AM off the line of scrimmage very much. What happened is, is that they were able to win their initial blocks, win initial contact, and they either got enough push or stalemated AM to the stamp from the standpoint that their backs were able to get, you know, three yards here, four yards here, five yards here. And those guys, Appalachian State's guys did a great job of running with great with lean, with you know, staying upright and then lowering their shoulder and and coming downhill so that they were getting a foot in the second quarter maybe a foot and a, you know maybe a foot and a half in the in the third quarter and by the fourth quarter it was a whole yard they just kept you know it was just like they kept generating just enough yardage and as a result they didn't face a lot of third and longs uh they they were very manageable they didn't you know and they that set them up for success again it was the same thing a&M was only two of eight on Thursday downs last week. I think uh, – I want to say Appalachian State was nine to 20. So, A&M, they've got the size. They've got the athleticism. The back end of the defense is a very, very experienced group. Antonio Johnson, pro football focus, was all over him in the preseason as a top-rated top safety in, uh, in the country. Uh, you've got four corners with starting experience. The Monty Richardson – uh, if he would have come out, Pro Football Focus said they would have graded him as a fourth-round draft pick. He's a 215-pound guy who can really come down the box, lay the wood. So from that standpoint, on paper, there shouldn't be anything wrong with this defense, and really there isn't. They, they do have some holes. Uh, they probably don't have the edge players uh, in terms of guys that really come off of the edge with the first step and get after your quarterback and really move, you know, really move you, uh, make you step up in the pocket. You know, they're more of a, Hey, we're going to come at you and straight at you. We're going to collapse the pocket. We're going to make you throw with, with a guy <laughs> with your center back in your face. Uh, so A&M operates in the pass rush mode differently. Their linebackers, uh, last weekend it was interesting because a couple of AM's linebackers are missing time. And so, you know, when Appalachian State went to 12 personnel, AM only kept two backers on the field. And they had Nickel Antonio Johnson, who is a rangy guy. And he's got some size to him, but he's not necessarily, an, you know, what you would turn, you know, he's not a third linebacker. Uh, so maybe that doesn't make a difference. Uh, in terms of well, he's going to give up a ten-yard play or a five-yard run. But if you if you if he's having to come not not just up the line, not just into the alley, but let's say he's having to hit the line of scrimmage like an outside linebacker, you know, maybe he's making a stop for three yards instead of two yards. And again, that's what Appalachian State did best all day. Right. Instead of getting, you know, every play, they got another foot, another 18 inches, another yard, and that really, really added up by the end of the day. 
you know, so I think this unit's going to be fine. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very hard for anybody to run on the rest of the year. That includes Miami. Uh, they're just too big to be moved off of the football. It's the, uh, you know, can they force turnovers? Uh, can they generate the negative plays uh, net that a lot of teams feel like they need to win with these days? And A&M kind of wants to use its size to get you into passing situations and get off the field. Uh, they don't, you know, they're going to force turn, you know, they get some turnovers, but those are more, seem to be more of a product of down and, you know, putting you in, in down and distant situations that aren't favorable. Uh, can they generate negative plays, you know, and enough negative plays to win football games? Certainly didn't do that last week. Appalachian State was very good at getting a hat on hat and uh, getting, winning enough contact that they didn't allow anybody to play downhill or an A&M side you know, their own side of the football. We'll see what Miami is able to do this upcoming weekend in that regard. When I ask you about the specialists and then one more question, then we'll get you out of here, Jeff. But, you know, I think it's fair to expect maybe somewhat of a close game, uh, maybe a one-score game on Saturday night. Um, And in those type of games, you know, kickers and punters matter. I know, we don't really talk about them much in the media, but they matter in these big games, especially at the college level. So tell us, tell us what Texas A&M has at uh, kicker and punter. A&M's kicker punter combo were expected to be among the best in the country going into the year. In fact, Fisher is his own special teams coordinator. And so A&M's Generally, with the exception of maybe one or two games uh, during his tenure in Aggieland, having, you know, you can count on them uh, if, if perhaps breaking even on special teams, but usually winning special teams, usually being the best. You're always going to project them uh, to be better on special teams for the most part. Uh, Caden Davis had, had a big miss uh, late in the Appalachian State game. It was a makeable field goal. This is his first year as a field goal kicker. He's got a big leg. We'll see if he can rebound from that. Uh, he, he's very, very good kickoff specialist. Uh, Nick Constantino is the punter. He's got a big leg. He's been used more to pin other teams inside the 20 so far this season. I, he, he doesn't have the – he doesn't necessarily have the yardage that he's been kicking at in past years, uh, but he's still been pretty good. A&M's, uh, of course, you've got Anaya Smith, who he makes people account for him on punt returns. Uh, kickoff return, he saw what A-Chain can do last weekend when he had the uh, long return for a touchdown. So – for A&M, A&M sh- you know, should have good special teams and, and should be able to make something, uh, should be able to win the hidden yardage aspect of the game, at least on paper. But they've got to be able to get those performances where they need to be. They can't afford to have, you know, if it's going to be a close game, they they can't afford to have any any missteps, so to speak. They're going to have to be able to make their field goals, uh, you know, not have any kicks go out of bounds, not have any punts, you know, not have any shank punts. Uh, if you're going to play the kind of close games that Jimbo Fisher 
wants to play your, your, your special teams have to be productive and, and keep that margin for error manageable. Uh, so for, for, you know, for A&M, A&M has to hope that Davis uh, rebounds from what happened last Saturday and kicks like everybody feels like he's capable of. And then we'll get you out of here on this, Jeff. I, so I crowdsourced on the message board uh, for some questions. And uh, one of the posters uh, suggested I ask, you know, big picture sense, just uh, if, if you were coaching against this Texas A&M team, what would be some of the things you'd look to do to try and incorporate, um, you know, if you were going to win the game? And it doesn't even have to necessarily be with Miami's personnel, et cetera, et cetera. Just what are the areas you would maybe look to attack offense and defense? I, I think the teams that have given A&M more fits during Fisher's tenure than, well, at least more often than not, have, have had success at spreading the field. Uh, they've protected well enough to take quite a few shots down the field in the passing game. I think you've got to be able to do that because Fisher has recruited so A&M signed 22 defensive linemen in, in their last four classes, 17 of them, four and five stars, even some of the three stars like uh, no tackle Rx. I mean, that guy's 320 plus pounds. So you're, you're not going to, it's going to be really hard to move A&M off of the line of scrimmage, especially with the, you know, they get in four point stances and, and, you know, they, they want to punch you in the chest and play with pad level and not let you move them off the ball. So I think the only way you're going to be, I think you have to space A&M out. I think you have to use some misdirection uh, in order to try to move the football on the ground. I think you have to be willing to protect because A&M is big, but they don't have a, they don't necessarily have an edge rusher who you would consider to be a sack guy in the, uh, much like they trotted out there last year with Tyree Johnson and Michael Clemens and in past years, a guy like Miles Garrett. So I would attack AM that way. I think offensively, what's going to be really interesting to see is can AM get a hat on hat and at least keep Miami from playing on AM side of the ball? If I'm Miami, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm slanting, I'm blitzing. I'm telling AM, you're gonna have to, you are going to have to you are going to have to try to get the ball out. I'm not going to let you do what you want to do and go directly at me. I'm going to make you try. I'm going to make you go outside the tackles. I'm going to try to make you maybe think you can hold the ball and, and take a shot down the field. I want to try to make plays on AM side of the football, especially because uh, game one, AM turned it over in the passing game. Game two, they had trouble with uh, with accuracy in the passing game. I want to play on a and try to play on AM side of the ball, ratchet up the pressure on what is at best an uncertain quarterback situation and see if the quarterbacks can play their way out of it, if the receivers can play, it can help them out, if the offensive line can help them out. Because if you start doing that, then maybe from, from like the first – few plays of the game, you establish to A&M that, again, it's going to be another long day for A&M. You're going to struggle to move the football. Your confidence isn't there. 
and just everything like it did last Saturday, everything just seems really, really hard. I understand Miami, you know, probably from an offensive standpoint, they run a lot of two tight end sets. They may do a lot more things like Appalachian State uh, in, in terms of running the football. You know, the gap, gap, Appalachian State was more of a zone team. Miami seems to be more of a gap slash man team. So they probably won't necessarily do that. It'll be interesting to see if Miami uses some misdirection, if they move, if, if they move right. Van Dyke and if they sit there and they go, you know what, we're my, we may not move you, so but we're at least going to try to run the football. Most of all, what we're going to do is at least either we're going to space you out, we're going to use misdirection, and we're going to try to get the ball downfield in the passing game. So. Jeff, great stuff. Appreciate you joining the podcast here. Everyone go follow uh, Jeff Tarpley's work over at gigum247.com. Leading up to this game, he does a really good job breaking things down from the Texas A&M side. Appreciate your time, Jeff, and uh, we will maybe have to do it again, I guess, if, if Miami and Texas A&M ever play again. So uh, appreciate everyone for listening, and until uh, next time, take care. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.